0: Voyagers, welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 153. It is day 31 of self-isolation and quarantine here in Brooklyn, New York. Going a little bit stir crazy. And the date is Wednesday, April 15th, 2020. My guest for today, I'm really excited about. This was a real treat for me. It's someone whose work I have an extensive history with as I've been listening to his music and enjoying his artwork for uh, just about 20 years at this point. My guest is Jacob Bannon. You likely know him as the frontman, vocalist, lyricist for the band Converge. He also has a project called Wear Your Wounds, which is really wonderful, and I'll play a Wear Your Wounds song right after this intro. Also go to the social media and stuff like that because um, as I've done in the past, I'll do a, a giveaway type of thing where I'll get you um, a record if you're the one that's chosen. So hop on social media anytime around today's date which is Wednesday, April 15th again and you'll find that. But back to the guest. So I was trying to quite obsessively retrace my steps and, and find out like when I first started to to listen to Converge. It's hard. My My memory of a lot of shows from the past are fuzzy. I know that they had played a show at the Babylon Legion Hall. So I actually reached out to to Brian Audley, who is the guitarist for Incendiary. He had been on this podcast wait, maybe like two years ago at this point. Uh, he has like an encyclopedic type of a mind for remembering shows. And I had like... Sort of mashed up a couple shows in my mind. like I thought they had played the this the Island Earth Fest, but he was saying that the show was Heatbreed, Converge, Shadows Fall, Sworn Enemy, like at a pretty small Legion Hall. I mean, you know what they look like. So all, all of those bands went on to be, you know, quite successful in their in their own careers. So I mean that that's a that's an insane lineup. I think that was the first time. That's also the show that got that venue shut down. I know that there were like some fights, and I think graffiti had been had been written. Um, yeah, crazy. But I also remember getting in the eighth grade. I went to see MXPX. I loved MXPX. They played a show with the Hippos and uh, Goaty Hook. I, I don't remember what they sound like, but at that show, I got a free two song promo for two songs off of Glassjaw's Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence. And then I really liked Glassjaw. And so I saw them, I think I saw them at the Legion Hall, but I also, I saw them at this venue called the Vanderbilt in Plainview on Long Island. And I don't know who opened that, but it was, I think maybe Blood Red. And then it was Converge. This is like Jane Doe era. And then the the headliner for that show was um, Glassjaw. I also had, like, I had that Hellfest 2000 VHS, which is really wild. I probably should have checked to see, like, if that's on YouTube now. It likely is. But Convergence set for that was nuts. Like, the venue is a barn, and um, during the saddest day, I think the last song is the saddest day, and it's just it's just, it's just insanity. And so, I, I you know, I would watch that stuff, Um and geek out about it. And, and I loved going to shows obviously. So uh, I've loved Converge since then. Um, you know, they're really like, it sounds like a silly word to use maybe like talking about punk and hardcore, but like they're really like masterful within the genre. Uh, really cool evolution from release to release. The shows have always been crazy. I'm trying to think of other times I saw them. Um, and I love talking about shows. This is cool. Um, so there's a venue called Ritual. I think I was there twice, but they did a tour with Modern Life is War. I think some girls blacklisted. I think This is Hell played. I um, saw them with Mastodon. I don't know if I've ever seen them out of state. What was the, there's a venue, um, is it Wars, it's Warsaw now, right? What was that venue in Greenpoint called? The Polish Hall? Was that what it was called? The, the Polish something. What was that? But right, that tour, though, was with um, Rise and Fall, I think, Pulling Teeth played. I saw Modern Life is War there, too. I don't know if that was the same show. They all blend together. Anyway, I'm rambling, folks. But, um, yeah, I have, have looked up to, to his art and his music for a long time and um, was really, really, really grateful that I got to, you know, spend an hour picking his brain today. Uh, I'll recommend you go to YouTube and we talk about this. But there's a short film called "Rungs in a Ladder," "Rungs in the Ladder," that it features Jacob. Uh, he narrates the whole thing over some some music, and it's it's a lot about like his life and like the psychology of who he is and like some personal philosophy stuff. So I didn't really want to delve too far into that because it's it's been done. And I can't do it as well as that piece. It's a really beautiful piece. So I think you should go check that out. Maybe pause this and go go listen to that or, or watch that on YouTube. Uh, maybe in a selfish sense, I really wanted to like geek out and, and talk about music and talk a lot about the early days. I don't know why, but I have, I, I'm not from, you know, this era, but I have like a nostalgia of hearing about like early shows in, in New York City. Um... 'Cause it just sounded like such a cool wild time. I was about maybe like ten years after after his entry into the world of like punk hardcore and underground music. So it's really cool to to hear about uh his early days and the early days of the band. So really fortunate that I got to spend this time today with him. I think it's one of those things where it's like if you're looking for any silver lining in what's happening right now, I'm quite it's it's quite a selfish thought, but um you know the fact that I'm stuck at home and he's stuck at home has enabled us to to be able to connect and to and to put this one out into the universe today. So, yeah, really cool. Um, you know, I'll I'll link to to Jacob and to to Converge in the show notes for this episode, like I always do for for every guest. Uh, you likely already know though, but uh, you can go to the show notes if if this is the first time you've heard of him or of Converge or where your wounds. Um, I'm going to play the song Wear Your Wounds by Wear Your Wounds right after this instead of the interlude music. And what I'll do for the, for the potential giveaways, is do something for them. So um, I'll purchase one of, one of their records and auction it off to a couple of, of people so that um, I'm also you know supporting them because I'm playing their song, which you should always do when you hear of an artist or anybody who's produced something, which is basically everybody who, who comes on this podcast. All right, cool. Uh, you know about Patreon, but if you uh, feel like supporting this podcast, you can do so on Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/the voyages of Tim and that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly, and that'll keep these conversations going. Once things open back up, I'll be back out on the road, hopefully bringing you some content from afar. Until then, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jacob. It's uh, it was one of my favorites, so enjoy it. First of all, thanks for doing this. I know that you're uh, all right, a busy dude with a lot of projects. So I appreciate uh, you giving me some time today. Yeah, no problem. How are you? Um, how are you holding up right now?
1: Uh, I'm fine. Just uh, you know, staying as busy and productive as I possibly can at the moment. Uh, that's pretty much where I'm at. What I can do, uh, um, it's usually what I'm best at in my life. So uh, yeah, just uh, just trying to. To make everything work as as much as I possibly can, with you know, obviously bearing the the limitations which are which are legally out there in the world. Do you think like
0: does it benefit you to slow down and have this time, or are you kind of pulling your hair out?
1: Um, I'm not really. I mean, I'm things are slower uh, to a degree, uh, but also incredibly busy. The, uh, I'm always in every day. I'm, I, I always have a variety of tasks to do, and it really hasn't changed since the pandemic sort of took hold in the U S it's not really any different. Um, the only, um, the only difference is that, you know, I, in terms of trying to figure out ways to, um, figure out ways to, to, to be productive and to, um, I guess just yeah, work around all these parameters. That's, that's the toughest logistical thing. Um, but you know, I, my life hasn't really slowed down at all. You know um, there's a couple of things that got interrupted. Um, I'm supposed to be in the studio right now um, recording a record or, you know, a variety of material at least and to, to make into something. And now we're working remotely because that's just what we have to do right now. Um, so that's logistically a little challenging for all parties involved with that aspect of a project. Um, but aside from that, you know, it's, um, it's quite busy. Um, a, a few weeks ago, we had to lay off a variety of death wish stacks. Just to uh, just to ensure that they would get uh, full benefits that they could get from the state and the, and the federal government, uh, just because the the limitations in terms of standing six feet apart and and whatnot were really challenging. Um, for detail for uh, for music is is shuttered right now, so um that aspect of the business had to been had to basically be put on halt and we had to just sort of shift uh, everything to shift everything to other aspects of you know what we do
0: yeah i mean i was thinking that with deathwish like without bands touring i would imagine that the retail part of that comes to a total standstill uh
1: the tour, touring Comes down to a standstill, you know, and I, I was personally affected by that because I had, you know, multiple tours and festivals, um, that would have already happened that were, uh, that were postponed for the time being or completely canceled. Um, you know, that was obviously a, um, a challenging thing to deal with, uh, because, you know, you, you plan your, your life and your, your, your business life as well as your personal life, and your, your financial existence is built around a variety of activities that you have. and you know with somebody like myself or you know anybody in a band, you know you're multitasking your your day jobs and your uh, and you know your musical careers then trying to uh, make all those things work and now a lot of that is just sort of like thrown off access and a lot of people that or depending on income, they're just simply not getting it. You know, it's just not possible. So um, you just have to. There, there really isn't time to to be sad about it or reflect in that kind of negative way. You just have to react and figure out ways uh, which you can, um, you know, be be productive and you know do the best with your with your efforts. Yeah, I was thinking about. Um, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, it, as far as bands that we work with, you know, we lost um, uh, bands lost a lot of a lot of touring revenue. Um, we did our best to help offset that as a business. Uh, we gave them all their uh, their band camp royalties, and we still are hundred um, percent. Um, we also created a donation um product in our store where people can purchase you know any denomination they want and they can give it to any band that where it was affected by um by touring they can actually select whatever band that they want to uh they want to support in that way and that you know that is that is helping you know and it it needs to continue to roll in and we give those things directly to bands monthly um in weekly actually in some some instances as well um so yeah we're just doing what we can
0: yeah, you know, like uh, kids into, into, into punk rock music and hardcore music, it's a, it's a real like working class kind of blue collar type, uh, type of an ethic and type of, you know, economic reality for a lot of people who find themselves uh, within the genre. I, I know that like you've had this incredible longevity as a band and you've had some, you know, some bigger tours and festivals and things like that, but I know that for yourself and for everyone else in the band, you do have your hand in a lot of different ventures. Um you've got the label you do a lot of art for clients both in music and otherwise most people probably know that Kurt has um you know a career a career in producing music is it fair to say that like you're still like a working class band um sort no, 100%, of 100% I
1: mean I, I, I my life hasn't changed in yeah. you know the the tw- at least the 20 years uh, that we you know started this this record label you know I I come to work every day. Uh, where when I'm not touring, and I I work a normal, you know, a normal day that's anywhere between like eight and twelve hours, and I multitask every day doing all of those things. You know, um, yeah, it's it's it, we're, we've never not been uh, working class by that definition. You know, it is it is a ton of work, and it's a little, uh, it's a it's a ton of effort, but it's also a labor of love. You know, we're we're very much aware. Of at least, you know, like Kurt and myself, I don't want to speak for him entirely, but um that that, you know, we are fortunate to be able to work within a world that we genuinely appreciate and love. You know, a lot of people have careers that they aren't emotionally and psychologically attached to. And, you know, we we have that, you know, so we're um we know we're very fortunate and we don't take it for granted. That's why we um we treat it with such sort of reverence and respect.
0: Yeah, and I know like following the formula that you do gives you control over a lot of aspects of the band, like uh, design and artwork and vinyl releases through Deathwish. At any point in the band's career, like I'm sure this must have happened, like a major like Sony or something reaching out, like asking you to jump on board. And but I would imagine they would take control of a lot of those aspects of it.
1: I think a little bit of that is like a, a little bit of a misnomer, like that, that sort of attention to, to aggressive music really isn't, isn't there and never really has been, you know, and when it does come, it comes to artists that are already, uh, quite marketable in their own right. Um, in terms of being, having an appeal to a larger, uh, more general fan of music. Uh, we play like hyper aggressive music. Um, That's if it's, if it's not hyper aggressive, it's uh, emotionally complex and very, it has, it has a lot of weight to it. And that weight isn't something that lends itself to pop culture, you know? And so it's, that's not something that's there for a band like us. I think that there were times there's always like a, um, there, there's times where there's a, uh, I'll call it like a, a spike in interest in terms of um, in terms of those sorts of labels and that sort of music world paying attention to uh, quote aggressive music, but for the most part, what we do is not really part of that equation. You know, that's even even those those things are like the you know like the the Ozfest style world of heavy music, and that's not really. A place where we exist you know we're just not a band that appeals to that audience and we're not really meant to be Mm. um you know so that that question would probably be more fitting for like the for like that new wave of um that new wave of like metallic hardcore that or like metallic music like the the lama gods, the a Dying, the kill switch engages, like stuff like that. That um, is more recognizable. You know, we're just we're we're too extreme for that, um, and that's okay. I actually find it to be interesting because we we exist within a weird w- within a weird dimension between those two worlds, where people know who we are. Um, just because of our output Um, and, you know, maybe their familiarity with our music that we've, you know, we've created and projects that we've, that we've had, but it's, um, but we don't really get that audience and we don't, and, and the, sometimes the, the more grassroots, uh, punk rock and hardcore audience will lump us in with that as well. Yeah. Because of us being, you know, just being where, where we are as a band. So it's like, I, I kind of joke about it that you know we're sometimes we're we're too punk for metal kids and we're too hardcore and or we're too metal for punk kids we're too you know uh, punk for uh, metal kids something like that i uh, to, you know, it, it's it's just funny this is what it is
0: I went back and i watched the uh the short film the rungs in the ladder uh piece that was i think came out in two thousand and thirteen. And in that, you talked yeah, something like that, yeah. you talked about, um, like up to that point, not always being so reflective uh, about your past and your life. So, if you'll indulge mm-hmm. me for a second, that film is a standalone piece. I think people should go watch that. So I'm not going to ask you necessarily about um, life experiences, you know, your personal philosophy and psychology and things like that, because I think that was covered really well in that piece. Uh, but if you will indulge me, uh, most of the guests I have on here, everyone I'm super excited about, but I get to approach this one as a fan with, like, uh, 20 years of uh, history with your music, right? Like, I'm about to turn 34 right now. I think the first time I was trying to I was trying to build out my history, and I think the first time I saw Converge was, like, uh, around 2000 on Long Island. Um, Okay. So, so I like nerding out about some music stuff and I uh I like talking about uh musicians past and so I'm curious before you got yeah, I'm open to
1: anything I don't I don't really care sweet
0: so before you got into heavy music or punk or hardcore uh like what are your earliest memories of music in your life from when you were a kid
1: well, you, you have to remember, I, I've been doing this band or at least, you know, I've, I've been involved in, in aggressive to music since for, for more than half my life. Yeah. You know? I started Converge when I wasn't, I wasn't even 13 years old yet. Whoa. You know? um, and I don't really, <clears throat> I don't really know anything different in the sense of, um, in, in the sense of a A place where i exist within within music you know all of my creative efforts have either been in that band or uh related to that band as sort of like tree branches that have kind of come off of that over time um so like my earliest memories uh, they're probably just like listening to um probably just like listening to to records that you know we were in my house um that were sort of passed on to me my my older brother was a eighty is um eighties style heavy metal guy, and he would bring in a lot of music into our home and I definitely picked up a lot of things from him and followed him around a lot and you have to understand too in, in that time frame like I was like the golden era of a lot of that music, so like uh, um, um there was a lot of, I was really fortunate as a listener to hear, you know, like, like motorhead in the mid eighties and Metallica at ride the lightning and kill 'em all and stuff like that. And I was a baby, I was a tiny kid, you know, and I was, um, enamored by just like the, the volume and the power of a lot of that music and it made an imprint on me. And I quickly jumped into, uh, um, into making music, um, just probably directly influenced from that and, you know, skateboard and BMX culture from like, I don't know, maybe like, I I remember getting my my first BMX bike when I was like seven years old and, you know, like being enamored with music already by that point, you know? Um, And I started trying to make it, uh, just make music on my own, probably when I was like 10 or 11. And then I had a band. Now here I am. You know, that's, that's kind of my trajectory, you know, it's not, um, it's kind of all out there for display. You know, like a lot of people, when you look at their lineage of, of being a creator of something, you, um, you see like chapters where they'll break up a band and then move on to something else or move on to something else and get well known for, you know, one, one chapter of their life in some way where all of mine has been rooted in this, you know, I look at, I look at, we could, we would joke around and we kind of call it like the converged universe because it's like, you know, a a variety of us have done a whole bunch of stuff um, on our own and as well as together. So, yeah. So, I mean, I don't really have memories that are much different, you know, than, than now, you know, I'm still in that moment of creating. I'm still the same teenage kid, although my, my, know has evolved a lot and uh, you know, I'm still rooted in the same place
0: do you remember the first show that you went to?
1: Yeah. It's sort of, there's, there's a couple, there's a, there's a bunch of um, like early um, shows that were, used to happen at, in, in North Standover over at the red barn. They weren't, they weren't like the very first shows. Um, but they were, I guess they were the very first group of shows. I started doing it all kind of all at once, you know um, I remember being at a, uh, Newberry Comics around that same time or the same time frame uh looking at comics and records and this would have been like i don't know late late 80s or something like that my father lived in the city and i would spend um, some weekends with him in his apartment there and i would go record shopping or comic shopping or whatever and i remember looking through um the M section and looking at misfit records And then a kid that was there started talking to me about the Misfits and Sam Hain, and I started looking through like the S's I remember, and I remember finding like the, I think it was like a like a later pressing of like the the Unholy Passion record, Um, and I was just looking at all that stuff because I was starting to get um, really into Danzig at the time and, and, and really like, I already loved the misfits from skateboarding and BMX culture and stuff. And he said, Hey, there's a show happening. Um, are you going, are you going to that show? And I didn't know what he was talking about or anything. And I don't remember if he handed me a flyer or like he pointed at a flyer or something, but there used to be flyers that would be on like the, the, the windows, like going in and out. And I remember asking my father after I left there, if he could, you know, take me by there and, uh, take me, and he did. And he, and he I he, remember he waited outside and I, I went in and it was at the rat and I don't, I still don't remember who it played. I'm pretty sure it was, it was sheer terror and poison idea, but I don't know if that's the, uh, that I didn't, I didn't even get near the, the, the show. I got in the doorway and at the time you used to go through the rat there was two entrances to the rat. There was the back entrance that um, was you, the most people know, because that's where um, most people went in to shows like later in life. But early on, you used to go through the front and through the bar and take a left. And I remember I went in and I was just, I was scared. And I just remember I was, I was scared. I was ultra nervous. And, and Every aspect of it was just really overwhelming to me because I just didn't know what it was, you know, like smelling stale beer, hearing Mm -hmm. volume, seeing all these wild looking people and like just being around this like physical thing. And I pressed myself up against the, like a little wall in the back for probably felt like hours, but it was probably a few minutes and then I left. And so that was my first, uh, that was my first experience in that where I was just like so socially overwhelmed by it. Uh, but then later I started going to more shows uh, consciously uh, with a lot of them I went uh, with um, Jeff Feinberg who played bass in Converge for a long time, who was a childhood friend of mine. <laughs> he played guitar in Converge as well at one point. Um, but yeah, we went to a lot of um, Boston area shows. And then uh, then soon after we, we met Kurt um, probably within like a year or two after that. And he was sort of like going from being a fan of metal into, into learning about hardcore and punk. And we introduced him to a bunch of stuff and we would travel together to shows and things like that. And, um, and just, you know, see the bands that connected with us and that led us basically from middle school into high school. And that's, that was our trajectory. And then Converge was born in, in that time.
0: You know, Converge is a, first of all, that's really cool to hear. Um, but Converge is a band in, you know, in my like, I guess, ability to recognize like sonically that has gone through kind of like a couple different stages and evolutions of sound. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's like pretty fair to say that you've really carved out an original sound that is likely to influence a lot of other bands, but I can't necessarily like point to an influence and say like, oh, Converge sounds like that. Or like, uh, you know, those guitar riffs sound like Kurtz riffs. But I remember like going way back to reading zines and liner notes and things like that it kind of pre-internet internet internet was first peaking and it's how i would hear about a lot of stuff and i remember reading at the time that i think uh rorschach and born against were like early influences uh on you playing music can you remember like if like who the bands were that you were listening to and not necessarily emulating but thinking like this is a style that i want to do
1: well you emulate everything around you at that time right cuz you're 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 a kid and you're just kind of you're learning how to formulate your artistic ideas and your creative ideas you have limitations into as to how you how you play what you play um and we were we for sure were emulating stuff around us but kind of like going back to what i said about you know coming up as a as a child in when in the golden era of heavy metal kind of starting to really kick off. Later in my teenage years, I was also really fortunate where there was so much incredible under what I would define as underground stuff occurring. Um no matter where you looked as a um as a as a sort of fanatic of a subgenre, there was something super interesting occurring. Um like, for example, I was, I would jump a lot between, uh, between hardcore and metal and punk listening. And there was something fresh and exciting almost at every turn, you know, everywhere you looked, there was something cool that was happening. Um, like I remember my, uh, this is probably like in 1988, 89, I think it was probably around then. I'd have to, I'd have to really try to figure it out. Let me see. Let me see when this record came out. Cool. Uh, um, yeah. I, I would say like, yeah, 88, 89. Um, my, my brother was a drummer and he would uh, play with a lot of, a lot of his friends in, in, in our basement. And he uh, connected with this guy, Terry, and terry uh they would play like a lot of black sabbath covers and stuff and just kind of do me and stuff um that was kind of atypical for the time and you know that guy's friends would come over and uh they knew that i was into punk and hardcore to a certain degree at least like on a surface level um and they got me into a lot of the i guess what i'll call like the early grind stuff and extreme metal stuff. I remember they gave me like the unseen terror, um, uh, dub tape that I think was the first album, a lot of, um, new red archives, um, sort of thrash bands. Um, they gave me those, they gave me my my first creator records. My, um, uh, they introduced me to just like, yeah, just a, a ton of that stuff. Terry at the time also had a band called disrupt that were, um, pretty uh, a pretty important grind band um, so he gave me like their first seven inches. I remember he gave me like the destroy disrupt split and he gave me the first disrupt seven inch and I was learning that there was like all this extreme music that also had you know moral and ethical stances a- associated with it um that were sort of politicized and were were talking about things in much more specific terms that weren't just like you know like you know fuck the p m r c or um, or like, you know, like fuck Reagan or something like that, you know, and it was turning into something, there was, there was something else that was occurring. Um, uh, and that's the, yeah, that kind of gave me a, a, a little bit of a, a roadmap as to, you know, what to follow. So I started listening to a lot of that that stuff and the early earache stuff, um, like early Napalm Death, the first two Godflesh records, um, you know, later on, like, the Grind Crusher compilation, early Bolt Thrower, like, um, Cadaver, like, all all that stuff I I listened to. Um, and metal was really kicking off at the time. There was so much cool stuff happening. Bands like Death were evolving from being, like, uh, sort of, like, a typical sort of proto-death metal band and becoming this, like, hyper-technical band. Um, everybody was growing, um, and it was really fantastic as a fan to watch all that stuff. Um and the same thing was going on within punk as well. You know, punk was like, I, I listened to uh, a lot of the, you know, typical punk of the time, but like bands like nausea from New York really connected with me. Um, you know, the bands like that were more extreme, like disrupt and destroy and stuff. I got really into that. intrigue that kind of led me to listen to like crash for the first time. Um, you know, I was just kind of getting exposed to all this stuff, but then punk was also evolving and Fugazi were the biggest band in the world. And they had, they were, you know, a, uh, they were a, their own kind of punk, you know, and that led me to uh, that led me to, to go back and listen to all the early discord stuff, you know, and I got into bands like Rites of Spring and Embraced, um, Lungfish uh, and just like really start to explore that catalog and that kind of um, that kind of really made an impact on me. I remember like driving around with Kurt probably in like 1989 and I was listening or not, probably like 90 actually listening to uh, the, the first, I think it was one of the first like nation of Ulysses records. I think that's probably, um, I think that's when that, that, it, that actually started happening. Um, and I was and I gave him the, uh, the cathedral force of equilibrium, uh, First album to listen to, and we were joking because my my cassette his cassette player was broken, and it would switch sides all of the time it, but it sounded like the exact same song because they were just droning out these like long doomy songs, and we were listening to stuff like that um at the same time, and at that time as well, you had these incredible scenes like a b C no Rio scene in New York, you know kicking off and you had really fresh, exciting bands that were happening out of there. The whole Sam McFeeders world, the Vermiform world, um, the War Dance world with Rorschach was was enormous. Um, yeah, there was just like a, a ton of bands that were that were making an impact. So we were we were like at ground zero for a lot of that stuff as listeners. So it all left a, um, a fingerprint on us, you know, an imprint on us and. I think that our band is just simply a amalgamation of all of those things with its own unique character that, you know, that we've just kind of developed over time.
0: You never played ABC No Rio, did you?
1: No, we were, we, we tried to play it. Um, I think we even, I think we even had, um, I think we even had a show book there at, at one time. Um, I remember when it closed because we were playing with Rorschach at one of their last shows and then they went down the street um, and played this is when they did a reunion somewhat recently within like the last I think like eight eight years or so, seven, eight years. Um, they um they went and played one one set over there as well on the their last their last day or whatever. Whoa. So um I'm looking here, yeah, Force of Literary – Forest of Equilibrium came out in 1991, and so that would have been around 1990, probably like the winter of 90 into 91 when I got that, because I had a, I remember I bought a, uh, I, I still have it actually, a um, it, an advanced cassette of Forest of Equilibrium. They used to used to be able to get like promo cassettes yeah. instead of real versions of records that would cost like half as much as a lot of tape stores that would just kind of put them out on racks just because yeah so that would have been like the winter probably like the early yeah early 91 that probably happened
0: well you before releasing anything like before uh halo and a haystack or like even demos and stuff you were for a few years you were covering bands right
1: um not really i mean yes and no i mean just just as much as anybody else did you know like we weren't like going out as like a like a cover hardcore band or anything like that, but like it was pretty common at the time for like any young band to play you know a handful of songs that you know were like the primordial primordial versions of themselves, and then play like a couple uh, a couple covers. I remember when we were in high school, um, a bunch of like the uh, I, I think it was like a bunch of Kurt's friends at the time. Uh, got together and did a bunch of covers, uh, like they did like suicidal covers and stuff like that. And we wanted to play one of those as well. And we thought he might be a guitarist that was good enough to do it you know, to play like a Rocky George kind of solo. And so we asked them initially to come in and try to play with us and play this solo. And, uh, he was never that style of guitarist but he was you know he could technically figure out pretty much whatever um, but yeah that's kind of how how we got him initially was him learning how to play a cover wow. but it wasn't like uh it w- it wasn't anything you know more substantial than that i wish we, maybe we it would be cool it would be kind of cool to have just a cover only hardcore band yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> Th- this is um a bit of an aside But do you know who Danielle West is? She was a kind of early pioneer in women's MMA. Say the name again. Her name is Danielle West.
1: No, Uh, I I know a lot of female uh, MMA people, especially like that first, like that first early. uh, Like I'll call it like the first generation of uh, MMA people. Um, But yeah, no, I don't.
0: Um, the reason I ask, it's, it's a quick one, but I was just talking to her last night. I met her in, uh, Jakarta in Indonesia and okay. she, she had fought like way back. She fought Julia Budd who, uh,
1: yeah. was just, yeah, champion. I know Julia Budd. I don't know her, but I know who she is.
0: Okay. And like, uh, Rin Nakai, if you know her, she's like super buff and, uh, from Japan. But
1: okay.
0: I had her on the podcast cause she wrote a book called Girls Can't Be in the Mafia and it's a okay. memoir and it's it's horrifying to one extent, like the level of like domestic abuse she went through as a child. But like her, her life's been really insane. But when I'm, interv- yeah. I'm interviewing her in Jakarta and she's talking about how she would go, she loved the Ramones and she used to sneak out of, you know, Boston and Massachusetts to go down to New York to see them play. And she's like, oh, and I, I really love this band called Converge. You know, and I'm sitting across the table like, whoa, what? And she said that uh, she worked for a radio station. Uh, i trying to find, she linked me the name recently. Okay, so she worked at her radio station at her high school, Mesconimit High School in Topsfield. Um, okay. And she was fired for playing Converge and like refusing to not play Converge because they were like, hey, this can't be on the radio. People aren't going to like this. This is too aggressive.
1: Um, yeah, it's funny. Well, you know, a lot, a lot of back then that was like the, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of college radio and, and, and high school radio just school related radio that was essentially the underground, you know, that was, that was where a lot of things would sort of bumble up and people would learn about them. You know, it was definitely a real, real thing.
0: Yeah. There was a, there was a cool one on Long Island I used to listen to. And then I had like I didn't know it at the time, but like it was a teacher at, at my high school, uh, called the All Ages Show. That was really cool. But um, okay, yeah, you know it's, it's interesting, man, because I don't know the the lifespan of a band like like an underground band, right? But uh, mm-hmm. if you took an average of it, it, it certainly wouldn't be very long. Maybe a couple releases.
1: Sure.
0: But you know the dream of a lot of a lot of young folks is to like, oh man, like I'll, I'll always be in a band or I'll be able to follow my creative pursuit. And obviously Mm -hmm. as we talked about, like at the outset of this conversation, that's not always like the easiest life and requires a lot of work and sometimes a lot, oftentimes a lot of sacrifice. Um, but like, did you, as a young person, did you ever see like a life in the arts working out or did you, did you have a, you know, a more maybe traditional trajectory for where you thought like life and work would go?
1: You know, I do I've been in this for so, for so much time that, you know, I didn't really, I don't really know any different. Right. So like, I just kind of gave myself to it at such an early age that I didn't really think about any other aspect of it, you know, I didn't really think about it working out. I didn't think about um, it being a career. I just sort of did it, you know, I just kind of put myself out there and, 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 you know, did it with, with, you know, my bandmates and, you know, with my business partners and stuff. And like, that's, it it just is what it is. Like, I don't like, kind of like what what we were talking about before. Like, I never really, I don't self-reflect that much, you know, like I never, I never said, Oh, okay, I'm going to give this, you know, X amount of effort or time or years, and then I'm going to go do something else. You know, um, you know, I always wanted to be creative and looked at it as a, um, as a noble pursuit, you know, and that's just what I've, what I've done. I've never thought to do anything um, really different than that. You know, I suppose you could say that myself, you know, going to art school and uh and and learning learning about uh learning about you know design and illustration and photography and stuff was some sort of um you know other direction but it it was all it, it's all tied to this. This is all the same creative pursuit, you know, it's just sharpening those tools that I've used, that I can use, you know, in other places. You know, you have to remember like I was releasing Converge records myself when I was like 14, 15 years old. You know, um, like I released our first, our first seven inch with a couple friends. I released our first, um, our first LP. You know, um, with with money that I was making working in a nursing home. You know, like, and I was like, I wasn't even. I was like, for like 16, 17, 18 years old, in that whole time frame, that wasn't like. And so, like all I know is is this. You know, I've always looked for ways to to uh, interlink all of these things and make them work for one sort of unified vision.
0: I was looking at um, I was going through some past releases, like the last couple of days, in preparation for this. And you know, there's always been sort of like in, in hardcore music, like there's guest vocals from time to time, like in like you know more maybe more like traditional, like youth crew type of bands, like there's gang vocals on songs. And I think of something like, you know, you had uh, Kevin Baker on a song doing what I would think of as like guest vocals. And then you've had like larger collaborations um, with like Jonah from Only Living Witness. You had mm-hmm. the project with Chelsea Wolf recently. Do you? I know you're a fan of music, right? Like, does anything still sort of like make you geek out? when you're working on a project with someone or if you hear that somebody wants to work with you?
1: Um, Yeah. Like I don't really geek out on stuff. Um, But, you know, I've been doing a project recently with, with um, two, two guys from other bands. We just finished an album um, around in January. And I was kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of wild to think about I'm in a band with these two guys. And so like, like that was probably the closest time to, you know, to think about that, you know, that that I've, that I've actually thought about that. And not because I don't, you know, I see myself as a peer to them or anything like that, but it just made me go, wow, I've been doing this for a long time that now these people are my peers. That's pretty wild to think about. Um, Yeah. I don't really get starstruck by people that often. And I don't really try to, when there's somebody who is a impactful person to me musically, I try not to really meet them. You know, I've, I've definitely like, you know, been in the same room with, you know, person A, B, or C. And like, you know, like I, I try not to interact because I don't want not, not in a negative way. I just don't want to like I don't want that, that experience to necessarily um, change the way I look at their, their music and, and connect with their music in some way. You know, they already give everything that they have to me as an artist by, by making music and putting that stuff in song, you know, like I don't, I don't necessarily need them to be my friend either. You know, I, I already have them as a friend in my, in, in my collection of music.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense.
1: I had the, um, and, and you, I mean, again, like I, I have been, mind you, like I've been in a lot of weird rooms and I've. <laughs> definitely had some weird interactions with people. Um, and some not, not so great, but I just, so I just try to like, I'd rather just be a fly on the wall, you know?
0: I mean, you, you might've sort of answered this, uh, when I asked something previously, but the long winded way of asking this is I had heard, uh, Henry Rollins on a couple of like really major podcasts, right? Like the Joe Rogan podcast, and he was on, actually, my, my, my favorite was hearing him on uh, Ari Shafir's podcast. But he talked about, and you know, he's got like a sort of like OCD personality, I guess. But he's got a show list of every show he's ever played, like across bands, uh, that he, that he's played with. Do you keep any sort of like, uh, collection of dates or like, you know, journal entry or, or, tour diary or anything like that? Uh,
1: no, uh, I'm a, I'm a different kind of person than that. Um, probably to a fault, you know, I have, I have friends that do that, that are really into documenting those efforts and things, but I just, I just don't. I just kind of like give myself to to the to the moment, and I don't really reflect in a in a way that um, has an air of nostalgia. I just I just don't do that. I don't know necessarily why that is. I don't know if it's um, it's 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 definitely conscious, you know. Uh, But like, anytime I like have ever like thought about that sort of thing, like. I I don't know I like I write a lot and but I write you know, I, I write prose, you know, I don't write to document my my every you know, every move you know, and I started like years ago I I started working on something that was more in that was more in that wheelhouse and I just I didn't really feel that connected to it. You know, I feel connected in um in, in expressing myself, you know, musically and, and and lyrically and, you know, visually and stuff like that. And that's, that's my, I guess like that's the way I keep track of things. Hmm. Um, I don't, I just, I don't keep a tally otherwise, you know, I'm just not that kind of person. I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is. It's just not, it's just never been that important to me. Like when somebody says like, Oh, you know, you've been doing this for X amount of years and you play this many thousands of shows and you have this many versions of whatever, that's cool. I'm glad that you <laughs> connect with it. You know, like I, I just, um, and I, and I really appreciate the audience for doing that, but that's just not my, um, that's not my end game.
0: In regards to the longevity, I was thinking like, I'll, I'll throw out like a ridiculous example, but, um, a band like, like journey, right? Like journeys played at every single wedding. So, uh, you know, you obviously like, you know, the song, it's like the, she was a small town girl. Like, I guess it's called small town girl. Um, so like if someone's going to see journey, like journey's playing that song. Um, and there's not, I don't know if it's fair to say like, there's not real deep emotion in that song. Like maybe it did get someone through a tough time. I don't know, but I'm thinking like, again, long winded, so bear with me, but, I, I write for myself, um, and when I think back to like me of ten, fifteen years ago, there are like emotions I had or situations I was in that like moving past it. I look back on and I'm like, okay, that that's done, and like I, I made it through that. That emotion is gone. There, there's a lot that goes into the music that you put out, and I wonder if there's like. Mm-hmm. Is there anything from the past that you've, you know, performed a lot that you think, like, I either don't feel that way anymore or, you know, I, I put myself at peace with that or, I, you know, I've already, you know, exhausted the emotion involved in that feeling and in that song and so I can put that song to bed? Does that make sense?
1: Well, I, I understand the question. I, You know, like, there's... There's two ways to look at that, and in, there's two ways to look at creating music and art. Uh, in many ways, once once I write my contribution to a song and we record it, and it's done, it's no longer my song anymore. It now goes out into the air and connects with people, however they see fit, or gets dismissed by people. They, it's no long longer my it's no longer my art to control the narrative of you know I've I can only control the narrative of the emotion that I put into it and and I try to be as clear and concise as possible in a poetic way in within my my lyrical content or something um, and I think the same thing could be said about um, the musical contributions as well you know like when I know when, when Kurt's working on a song mus- musically, or I have a riff idea and I feel motivated to write a riff, or you know Nate has a song idea and we play, we're all working something out, you know we're all utilizing the tools that we have to kind of come together and create this collective body, which is a song. My lyrics happen to end up becoming the narrative of that thing, but like a riff could mean something entirely. different to, you know, somebody like Kurt or my pal, um, you know, like Mike who plays with me and, you know, Umber or like, or something like that, because they wrote it in a particular mindset and then they were working something else out emotionally. Um, but it doesn't make it any, any less impactful for them. It just makes it different. Um, I just, so for, for me, that aspect of it is over once the song is done or once I write something and going to get it out of me. Um, Then there's the performance aspect where you, you have to go out and connect with people. And that's a little more complicated where sometimes you get kind of transported back into that, into fabric of where you were when you wrote that song to a degree. So emotionally you get sucked back into it. But it also can take on other other forms, you know, where like you might have other emotions that you're going through uh, that, that are that are sort of surfacing because you're going through a variety of other things in your life and you have this, uh, this very physical, you know, intense thing that you're performing and they kind of interconnect. And, you know, you sort of use this song as an outlet to, to help you through your, your current day you know that's a very real thing that occurs um and it can kind of give you somebody can have a little bit of uh, a little bit of introspection in those moments you know where like you're relating to the childhood you of why you wrote a specific song maybe stuff some stuff is resolved some stuff isn't maybe some stuff is resurfaced it's just sort of it's always there it's always a part of the fabric of you um I've never been somebody who's written songs who are like that have felt dated to me in that context, at least like the, um, my contribution of those things. You know, I think musically, sometimes we look at back at something and go, Oh wow. You know, like this song is just not nearly as well crafted as we wanted it to be, or we thought it was, you know, something like that, but um, that's, that all comes in time. And in, in, in the progression of you as an artist, you just get better as an artist and musician. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I think I kind of yeah I kind of I think I kind of answered that. I think that's that's kind of it, it's it's not a it's not a black and white thing, you know. Um, there's also this other aspect of playing live, where you're connecting with an audience, and that song that is maybe you know five ten years old in in your emotional mind is really really a current event in the person's mind that's right in front of you singing along with you, and that's a whole nother valid um interaction that you're having an experience that you're having with somebody that's um that's that's really powerful and that takes on its own whole it it's whole a uh, whole nother relationship you know, and it gives meaning to things. Um, you know, when people are relating to some of your dysfunction that you've had to struggle with in your life. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to unpack for sure.
0: Yeah. Does that ever feel like a heavy burden? You know, I've never done anything in my life that really impacted, uh, you know, so many people. Like I'm, I'm sure over the years you've had people reach out and say like, Hey, this song got me through this tough time. Um, like, is that a lot to grapple with?
1: Yeah. It, in, in, in not so many words. Yes, it it is a lot. It's, it's a really unique place and you know, it's not, it's not specific, specific to me. I think a lot, anybody that's a creator of things have had some sort of interaction like that with people, um, for, for good and for, for good reasons and sometimes it's not a positive experience. Um, I'll, I know like sometimes like we'll get off stage or like, you know, we'll be kind of like the, the night will be like winding down and like, I'll, you know, I'll connect with like Nate or Kurt or Ben or something like that in a converged context. And they'll be like, wow, that was really heavy what you were just talking to that person about, you know, in the back or whatever, after you played. And, you know, and we just kind of, we internally bond over that stuff more like a a support structure of, of sort of siblings, you know, where they're like, wow, that was heavy. Cause they typically don't, they don't get that as much because they're not necessarily the, the focal point because the, just by, by design, uh, you know, the singer is always the guy that, you know, people connect with in a band, you know, and they know that I'm writing the lyrical content. So it's just a sort of a different thing. Um, so I, I tend to have that emotional interaction, interaction more with people. Um, it's it is it's very intense um and i just appreciate the fact that people can take in any of these efforts and make it a positive in their life you know because i know what it's like you know when you're having a day and um and somebody um and somebody connects with you you know and it's it's a it's a very powerful thing
0: yeah i've got two more here jacob and then um I'll let you get back to work, man. This has been really, really cool to talk to you. Uh, The first, the first is, um, I, I love to, whenever I travel, I love to see music in the place that I'm in and it could be any type of music. Um, and I've found like the way that people, there's uniformity in the way that people react to music, but there's also sort of like a difference in crowds in certain places. Um, is there is there any place outside of the country that you have a special affinity for in regards to playing?
1: Um, not really an affinity for a specific place. You know, I think the 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 geographic boundaries of places um, mean less to to myself and to the other guys than. People would probably think because audiences are usually there for the same reasons, right? We're a niche band, and takes it takes a lot to um, it takes a lot to to connect with you know a band like us. So we we expect that if somebody's in that room with us, they're there because they want to be there, and or and or they need to be there, which is uh, you know really special to us, you know. Um, so yeah, the the audiences are kind of always. I don't want to say the same because it, that trivializes them a bit, but they're the same in the sense that there's a commonality um, that, that brings them to, to connect with the music that we create, um, you know, and, or, and, or heavy music in general. And we just, uh, we just appreciate that, you know, like an audience in, in Japan doesn't really feel much different than an audience in Lawrence, Kansas.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: all right. Do you, do you remember the first time? So, again, I, I grew up out in, like, Suffolk County on Long Island. So my proximity mm-hmm. to New York City was always close. And then my whole adult life, I've lived in New York City. So I've been quite fortunate in that regard that I'm, like, always within an hour's reach of music. Um, sure. Do you remember the, the first time that Converge played either New York City or Long Island?
1: the first time we played um and and this is funny this is like something in my life that like um I like I'm terrible at remembering things at this point in my life and it's probably just because of life experience but there's certain it's funny there's like there's shows or like not the whole aspect of a show but just like there's certain points that I can kind of, I can keep track of because of shows, you know, or like tours or things like that. And those experiences probably because they're so, um, enveloping when you're in them. Um, but like, I can't remember dates aside from that for the life of me, when it comes to things I need to keep reminders in, in all calendars. Um, but in terms of, uh, New York, uh, New York was pretty dead when we were coming up as a band. Wow. Um, there was there was hardcore shows and there were things, but you have to remember that door wasn't really open to us for a long time in terms of you know touring and um, touring and, and traveling. Um, I do remember my first time going to New York for a show was I think 1993, and it was the to go to to go to CB's. For Agnostic Front's last show, um, where they recorded um, a live record called Last Warning. Let me see when they recorded that. Um, and we went there, a, fr- a few friends of mine, including uh, Trey who runs Deathwish with me. And we it was, remember it was Madball's first proper show um, after like their their second seven inch came out. Um, it, yeah, so it came out in 1993. So, yeah, it was recorded, I think, in the winter of 92 into 93. I remember Calda's Life played, Demise played, um, and I remember that whole experience, like, really well. Um, playing New York, yeah, again, it was a different time. Like, that time between, like, you know, 93 and into when we started, like, getting out and touring was, was pretty closed off. I think, like, our first CB show was maybe, like, 1997, something like that with, I think it was night. Yeah. Maybe 97, maybe, maybe 98 with coalesce and dead guy, I think, or maybe just coalesce. Um, but our world of heavy music was kind of considered like a, like the new wave of, of metallic hardcore. You know, it didn't really have roots. It, it, although it had roots in New York hardcore and we were huge fans of it. The worlds didn't sort of cross pollinate that much. So, you know, our scene didn't really exist yet. You know, it was all kind of bubbling up all at once, you know, and there wasn't that much of a, um, there wasn't much of a a place for all of us. Long Island, I think I remember touring and playing there, maybe 95, 96, something like that, and playing with, um, like, bands like Coercion and maybe, like, um, some of, one of Beck's, um, one of Beck's early bands, maybe Sons of Abraham or something Uh like that. Whoa. Um, you know, there was like a whole wave of pre glass draw bands that were existing. Um, but yeah, so that was, it was probably somewhere in there.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, man, like again, uh, this is a real treat to get to talk to you. So, um, I'll let you get back to work. I got to hop back to work too, but, um, yeah, thanks for, you know, giving me the time of day. This was really cool to do.
1: Yeah, no problem. Good luck with everything.
0: That is a wrap on episode number 153 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Man, how cool. That was really uh, really cool for me. That was really a treat. So thank you to Jacob for coming on the podcast and giving me an hour of his time to, to, to geek out and to chat about music. Thanks to all of you, as always, for tuning in, folks. I know that while you're stuck at home, there's all sorts of media that you can consume right now. And so I appreciate you if you're taking the time taking the time to to tune into uh, TV TV here. So much appreciated. As always folks, please take care of each other. I am going to play you out with a song off of Jane Doe. It is called Phoenix in Flight. I am aware of the fact that you know some people who are listening are not uh, listening because they're fans of heavy music, so, while this song is heavy instrumentally, the vocals are soft, and I think like this is a hugely underrated song on this album. Uh, it really crushes, and uh, I really like it. So I'll play you out with that. All right, folks, thanks so much. Catch you next time.